What's up, guys, and welcome to the Van Patten Podcast. My name is Rich, and as always, I'll be hosting. Now, today, I have a very special guest. I have my old hunting partner, old Jimmy Lowe, or better known as Sober Dude Fishing on the old Instagram. Uh, we sit down and talk about uh, his addiction with alcohol and what bass fishing kind of did to it. We get off on a lot of tangents, of course, into the fishing spectrum, but I think it's a very cool story of um, fishing kind of bringing the life back into an individual. So super excited for this podcast. Um, but before we dive into it, I just want to give a second to the people who make this podcast possible. First, please go over and check out our gear on vanpattenoutdoors.com. We've got some hats, some t-shirts, some sweaters, some stickers. Um, So we have just a couple of the leather patch hats left. So if you want some of those, um, they're going quick, but they're available on our website. Of course, as always, we're teamed up with Rutstruck. You'll find their gear on our website, um, as well as the EO Boys merchandise, their hats and t-shirts. Those are all available on VanPattenOutdoors.com. We'd also like to thank Elkhorn Grills, um, selling some of the best wood pellet grills in the market, in my opinion. Um, I think that they're uh, just just world class. Um, and of course, I'm talking about the Green Mountain Grills. Um, so head over and check out those guys at elkhorngrills.com. We'd also like to thank Hydro Dip. Um, we have some special projects coming up with those guys. Be looking on our YouTube channel. Me and Alan from Rutstruck Crew are going to be dipping our pistols. Um, kind of giving you guys a, I don't really want to call it a tutorial, mostly because we don't know what we're doing. So it just kind of shows you guys um, the journey of getting a dip kit and dipping a gun that you like. Um, but we'd like to thank those guys for the dip kits and sponsoring this podcast. And we'd also like to thank Peak Sherpa. Now, they are making some of the most delicious little, what they call energy bites, four different flavors, super uh, healthy, super delicious. Um, if you guys want to go check them out, go to peaksherpa.com, enter Van Patten, um, and you can save 15%. So, um, last and not least, uh, we'd also like to thank Flux Sunglasses. Um, Every outdoor recreator, in my opinion, needs to have some awesome sunglasses. They need to be polarized because you're fishing. They need to be pretty dependable so you can chuck them in the pack. I I really should call them durable so you can chuck them in the pack. Um, And they need to be comfortable because we're wearing them all day. So I uh, landed upon Flux. I really like their sunglasses. They're pretty cheap, so if you bust them or lose them, something happens because, as we know, that stuff happens out in the sticks. Um, Pretty affordable. And if you guys want to check them out, uh, head over to our website. Um, There's a link that you can get them at the very bottom of the page. Or you can go on our Instagram, and the link is in the uh, in the bio. So if you do go to the link in the bio, um, you can save twenty percent um, 
it'll automatically kind of enter your code for you. But if you use that link, you'll save 20% on what I already think are affordable glasses. So a little bit better for you. So thanks for bearing through the sponsorship stuff. Thank you for the sponsors. And uh, so let's dive into it. Thanks, guys. How goes it, man? Fantastic. How are you? Very good, dude. Very good. How's the fishing been treating you? It's been going well. Seen some other stuff. No, that's that's pretty much what I'm after, man. Um, we've got some pretty big crappie here, but oh, really? You know, just the old bucket mouth. That's that's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I feel you, man. See, there's not too many um, places that we can go in Northeast Oregon for largemouth. And I'm very jealous of it. There's a few private ponds, but that's it. Yeah. Um, you you guys got a bunch of uh, like public land or like you know like some public fisheries that have largemouth down there. Uh, almost all of them. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, I'm. Let's see. I'm five miles either direction from my house to two different really good fish fisheries for largemouth and then there's another one yeah it's it's all state park okay nice and uh there's another state park that is about 45 minutes and then if you want to actually go for a drive you've got lake pals an hour and a half lake needs an hour and a half and they're giant but that's, I mean, that's, that's nothing an hour and a half. Shoot. That's, that's a stone throw. Really? Think yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean, that's like driving down to Hell's Canyon to go fishing or something. Where, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you got a boat or are we do? are you doing this mostly off the bank? Uh, no, I, I've got a little boat and, uh, my dad and I, we spent a bunch of money on accessories to, you know, we can't afford a $70,000 boat, so we took a $2,500 boat and turned it into a $70,000 boat. <laughs> Heck yeah, what kind of boat do you got, dude? I've got a 16-foot Alumacraft. Nice, man. Heck yeah. Did you guys put, like, a little bass uh, casting platform on the very front of it? Uh, it's actually a stock bass boat. Um, it had a little tiny casting deck on the front and back and I just decked the entire boat. So I've got a full, almost a full casting platform from the front to the rear of the boat. Oh, that's pretty sweet. What's up? That's perfect. Then probably not going to take any crazy waters though. eh? Uh, (laughs) funny you say that the swells out there the other day when I got rained off were about four foot on the lake. Whole, are you kidding me, man? Seriously, it, the storm came in in a hurry. It was slick calm when I got out there. I was there for about an hour and a half, and all of a sudden, this damn burst came through and blew about sixty miles an hour across the lake. My goodness, man! I took, I, I took uh, on a little water, but <laughs> I bet you did. Um, <laughs> I lived to see another day. Man, yes, sir. Well, I mean that's a. Uh, golly weather underground my friend weather underground that's a uh, you know we got blown out a couple couple weeks ago turkey hunting in that same way just beautiful day 
And then all of a sudden, bam, thunderstorms, raining, it works. Yeah, that, it's no no good when you're out there, especially under the trees. Yeah, all the, right. The, the little boat, flashy you know, sky. Yeah, yeah, or a boat that in the middle of the water, that's, you know, yeah. big old. <laughs> Either way, not very good. No. That's crazy, man. So, um, if you will, introduce yourself to the people um, and give them like a little bit of a background on yourself, sir. Well, what do you want to know? Well, uh, give people your name um, and uh, where you're from and, uh, you know, kind of your local fisheries and what, you, what you're up to these days, man. Well, you know, my name is Jimmy. I'm uh, from Utah. This is where my heart lives for sure. Spend a little stint there with old Rich from Van Patten. Yes, sir. Quite a bit. And uh, good to see him doing his thing, finally. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's back in southern Utah, I love it. Fishing's good. Weather sucks right now. But, you know. Good, uh, good place to be, right? Oh, yeah. You know, here in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably have 100 degrees, and that'll just be fantastic for the old topwater fishing. Yeah, but not the ginger, man. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, man. I know. God. It's funny. I, 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 guys I work with, like, every time I come to work, they're like, dude, you're getting browner and browner. What is the deal? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I was born to live in the sunshine. Yes, sir. Well, you're in the right spot, man. Godly. Fishing naked, basically. Oh, speaking of hunting, uh, not to get off topic of the fisheries around here because they're great and all. I did draw four, though, sir. Yeah, I did draw a muzzleloader tag this year. So I've got a friend of mine that has like 2,500 acres, maybe a little more that he has set aside that he can hunt. And, uh, they've killed some massive bucks off that property in the last eight years or so they've been hunting it. So I may have an in to, to get a wall hanger. That's going to be, and with, uh, so educate me on the Utah muzzleloader laws. Is it similar to Oregon where it has to be kind of old school flintlock open sites or can you use sites? And what's that about? Not at all. They changed it about three years ago. You can have a multi-power scope on your muzzleloader now. Okay. Now we're and, talking my language. Yeah. See, it's pretty much a, a short range rifle hunt is what it is because you can use the, the fire, it, it doesn't have to be an old school muzzleloader. You can so, use sabots and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. oh, I no. use pellets and sabots, so, and got the old Vortex scope on there. and Yes, sir. Yeah, so that, so makes it, I mean, is your, what your lethal range is, what do you, I mean, what are you guys shooting those things out to, like comfortably when you're practicing and stuff? Comfortably, 250 yards. Holy cow. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Though. The last deer I killed, well, not last one, because that was two years ago, but 
my TC muzzle loader that I had before this new TC, uh, 180 yards, I'd put the smack down on a buck. That's and that was what that was open sight. Oh, what, what caliber are you shooting? 50 or like 54 or what? Yeah, I'm shooting a 50. Okay. But at up to 180. Damn. At 200 yards, I have a pretty good drop. So, because I'm only shooting like 85, 90 grains of powder, 250 grains of sabot. But still, that's uh, that's interesting. You know, we uh, me and my old lady just applied for some muzzle loader tags in Oregon. Of course, we've got a little bit different laws here, which I'm not going to get into. But I'm not a huge fan. I like the Utah thing where you can use a, a scope and those sabots in Oregon. It's all open sight kind of traditional muzzle loader things. But we're going to try it out this year. I'm I'm getting into muzzle loader, so that intrigues. That really intrigues me, huh? Yeah. So you think uh, you think there's some uh, some Boone Crockett or do you think there's some Booners out there? Oh yeah. Um, this area that I'm going to be hunting, it's a it's a migration route. So 20 miles on the other side of the mountain, later in the year, like rifle season, you get 300 bucks come through there, different bucks during the entire hunt so it's kind of like a pick and choose type of thing but those that area that i'm going to be hunting is like the main area before they migrate so as long as we don't have like we had two years ago where we had a cold snap the week before the hunt and push those deer to start moving early we might we might have a good shot at getting something decent heck yeah man now that sounds that sounds uh, super fun. What time of year is that going to be? That is the end of September, and it's uh, it goes from the 27th to the 5th of October. So it's going to be like 137 degrees down there. <laughs> I don't know. Two years ago, it was 90 degrees and woke up opening morning, it was 26. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It dropped overnight, and we saw several bucks the the night before when we were kind of doing some pre scouting and opening day. Not even a doe. It, I don't know if it, they started moving at night. I don't know if they were just bedded down. But I didn't shoot a buck until the last day of the hunt, and I only shot him because he was funny looking. I love those ones. Yeah, he's unique. I'll put it that way. He's a big three on one side and got a single spike that kind of does this curly cue with a fork that comes out of the side of his spike and up. It, he's crazy looking. Wow. That sounds cool. That yeah. sounds real cool. Now that sounds like an awesome hunt, man. So um, you said that you drew that tag or you're, you you think you're going to draw it? Nope, I did draw that one. Uh Ooh. Yeah, I got that one. Um, I didn't. I didn't apply for any any other hunts because, you know, that sounds like bass fishing's kind of got me by the balls. <laughs> going going back to telling people a little about myself, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and this is my my new addiction. Got yeah, it. 
<laughs> your uh i love your instagram um what do they call it? an instagram handle which is uh sober dude fishing go and check go and check him out at sober dude fishing on instagram but yeah man give him give the people a little bit of the the backstory on this this whole story yeah so i i didn't know i was an alcoholic kind of had a feeling that i might have been until uh shit started going downhill real quick and you know it was booze or family so i chose my family i was sober for like what three months when you moved me down here something like that yes sir and uh yeah it, it, you know it was still kind of a struggle being around here I, you know, I, I had my family and that was it. My friends, they, they've started their own family. They still drink, they still do those things. And I, I kind of had to find an outlet, um, to challenge my mind and keep me busy. And I think it was April 17th of that first year I moved back would have put me about six months sober. My cousin came down and he's an avid bass fisherman. And he brought his little boat down here for Easter weekend. And I landed a seven pounder and I was hooked ever since. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have spent loads of money, which I did not have before uh, on uh, fishing equipment. I, I, I never understood why you need 13 fishing rods on the deck of your boat, but I do now. <laughs> I understand. It's easier when you uh, put a good old bird's nest in those bait casters to just grab an entire new rod. I found. Well, you know, I don't really have that problem anymore. I take my old man out, and he's getting to the age now where he can't see to tie his own lures. So I feel like I'm fishing with a six-year-old sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> well, while he gets snagged and breaks a line, I tie I, I tie a new one for him. He just grabs a new rod and continues fishing. But, uh, yep, way easier. Yeah, I get to return the favor. <laughs> so, <laughs> life's been good, man. It, it really has. Well, it's good to hear. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that bass fishing can be your new money suck because i know that with any type of outdoor activity um no matter if it's like elk hunting with a bow fly fishing for trout largemouth bass fishing they are all a huge time and uh money suck like it really is and it's a huge commitment you know i mean mm -hmm. my wife doesn't like it so much that i'm you know i get off of work at seven o'clock i have two hours of daylight left where do you think i am i'm on yep hitting the water right mr low are you here still hey yo hey are you here technical yeah, Hey, that wasn't me this time. No, I can hear you just fine. <laughs> win, win, win for me. Win for me. Yeah. Um, no, but man, the cool. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what I was saying, um, 
is no man. It's a huge, it's a huge, uh, time and money suck, but I mean, what else are you going to throw your money to? I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't tell you what I'd spend money on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, you know, specifically tackle too, man. Like, uh, I've been, uh, I guess you could say like a member of the mystery tackle box for a little while now. Um, and that's been pretty cool. Just to be able to check out some different lures and stuff. Are you a member of any of those? Or are you just going down to your pro shops and picking and choosing, uh, different tackle how what's your tackle selection looking like oh shit dude i'm a member of mystery tackle box of course it's pretty sweet isn't it i mean i'm i i really uh i'm not a huge fan of anything but their pro box their pro box i think is pretty sweet um and i think it's worth the money but i got a one of their trout boxes um just to kind of switch up the species and Quite frankly, I don't know if I was really that super happy with it, but I like the pro box a bunch. Yeah, I I got the elite box, and okay. it, you know they send me some random stuff like it, it all pertains to bass fishing and warm weather techniques and stuff like that. And I actually tried out some of the baits that I got in this last box today, and I, I think I caught five uh, on this stuff out of that box. Um, I've got some top water stuff out of there that I really can't use yet. Since we had this cold snap, everything's holding tight to cover and that they don't really want to chase anything. The water dropped about seven degrees in the last few days. So they, it's kind of slowed down a bit, but we have our, uh, sportsman's warehouse here too. So, which is a huge benefit. Just kidding go down and take yourself on a little sportsman's house journey every once in a while. Oh yeah. My wife, she's like, really, do you need to go to sportsman's every day? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. I go in there and if I don't buy bait or tackle or something, I'm in there shooting the shit with the guys that work there, you know, cause there's an old guy that works there that fishes the lake that I don't fish nearly as much. And I kind of pick his brain about it and, you know, he's a multi-tournament winner around these areas. So he knows his stuff and it's, it's been a, it's been a good learning experience being around some of those, those guys that do it a lot, do it more sure. than I get to. Right. So, yeah, dude. It's everything I want. <laughs> Absolutely. No, man, I found, you know, going and just uh, talking to some of those guys at like a pro shop or a sportsman's warehouse, you can find a lot of good little tidbits of information for sure. Um, are you still, so, um, what, so what are you fishing right now? You said you're not hitting top water, going close to cover. Um, are you just, are you like jigging them and stuff or what? What what's yeah, your I'm throwing, you know, I usually start off throwing like power fishing, uh, either with a crankbait or a spinner bait, depending on the weather, the, I mean, if it's bright, sunny outside, no wind, I'm going to go straight to a jig or a weightless Cinco or something. Sure. Uh, hey, what was that thing that you were just talking about in, um, replacement of, uh, Cinco? Oh, it's, a. Uh, 
on my Instagram. Yeah, what was that thing? I forget what it was. It's actually called it's it's exclusive to Mystery Tackle Box, and it's called a Game Changer, or that that's the brand is Game Changer. Okay. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of looks like a giant tadpole with a big curly tail. And so, so a bunch of action, basically, right? Yeah, and it's kind of cool because you can swim it through the water too, and that tail is just back there creating all kinds of commotion. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the fish I caught on that today, that's what I was throwing today just to try it out. Right. Uh, I was actually – What color did they give you? I, you know, I got – the last two boxes I got, I got the same bait, um, but they're what? different colors. Yeah, so oh. one is the green – the first one I got is the same bait, but it's a green pumpkin black flake. The yeah, next okay. one I got, it's got like a pearl blue on the bottom with a green pumpkin top. So that tail's down there, it's spinning, it's making all this commotion, and they're seeing that that flash from that pearl blue, and then it's got the green in there also. And, you know, that's the one I, I end up going through, like, four or five out of the eight in that bag. So, yeah, they did pretty well today. I was I was impressed. You like the, you like the pearl action? Uh, I do, actually. Um, so the Cinco's that I throw – they're actually a watermelon pearl and it, I tried throwing straight green pumpkin. I've tried throwing different colors and something to do with that pearl, either blue pearl or white pearl. What uh, do you think the pearl has to do with it? Just the, uh, just the flash of color or something? I, I think so. It adds a little more flash to it. It's easier to see in the water. Um, it, it gives off that little bit of fishy sheen to it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Kind of, you know, if you look at those little minnows or bait fish that they're eating on, they do have a little bit of a shimmer or something. Yeah. You know? So I, I found that, um, I don't know, like later in the year in the summertime and stuff, when the, the fish start moving back to the deeper sections and stuff, they're feeding on the bottom, they're eating crawfish and stuff like that. I go back to more natural colors, um, that green pumpkin or brown cinnamon color or something like that and then just do still, on the bottom do you still use a worm late summer or are you switching your whole bait up to like a crawfish presentation deeper waters or are you still using that uh, like a worm type style um depending on how late in the season so like summertime my main my main go-to is top water either a frog or a walking style bait um if I've got cloudy skies and windy conditions, I go straight to the rocky points and stuff and start throwing a spinner bait or a crankbait. And if I'm night fishing, it's solely dragging a jig on the bottom of the ground. Gotcha. Okay. That's a cool part about where you are is the, I mean, those lakes aren't freezing up, are they in the wintertime? It still stays warm. No. No, I, I actually, you know, I, they're, it might be easier to find now. Um, I just went and bought an $800 fish finder that has the down imaging and all that good stuff on it. And nice. so I might be able to locate fish this winter. Um, I know there's some 
giant fish at one of our reservoirs around here and I just could not locate them before I got that that new fish finder so and uh oh I got a new trolling motor too that with the the spot lock and so you just push a button and and your trolling motor keeps you in place via GPS so no what? more explain that to me I mean I've seen it but I don't understand it now do you have to have a fancy fish finder with the trolling motor is that how it works no so it, it's got a little a uh, little puck looking thing uh, and that that's actually your heading sensor and uh so it has like autopilot too so with mm -hmm. that little sensor you can push autopilot and whichever way the head is facing it'll keep you on that axis on that line adjusting for wind and everything um, and the built-in GPS, it, it has its own GPS. So you, you don't need anything else. Um, and at, so you hit that anchor button and it just, it turns on, it uses a, as much power as it needs to keep you in that spot, adjusting for the wind, the current, whatever. So you motor for an anchor. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. No more throwing an anchor for me, which is nice because a lot of times I would catch a fish. I'd be on a group of fish and I'd catch one out of it and the wind would blow me off of it. Then I'd have a hard time finding my spot again. So if I catch a fish, I instantly hit the spot lock button and I know exactly where I was. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, but when you're just uh, using it for like line of sight, if you will, you can follow the, the edge of water, but if you're not paying attention, it'll still drive your right off the edge of the, the water. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, no. So, well, yeah, I guess. So if there's a big turn, like our dam out here, I, that's usually where I throw spinnerbait if it's cloudy or windy. And it's just a rock dam. And it has a big dog leg in it. So it, it's about, I don't know, 200, 300 yards long before you get to that dog leg. But if I have that autopilot on and I, it's keeping me 30 feet from the bank, I have to still pay attention because it will run you to that dog leg. Right. Um, right. No, that makes sense. However, Sweet, though. Yeah. However, they do have one. I didn't know that my fish finder that I bought was compatible with it, but they do have a trolling motor that connects to your fish finder so that you can use your maps and it will follow the contour lines on the map. That's what I'm talking about. That's 21st century right there. Yeah, I, I didn't know my fish finder was compatible with that. So I didn't buy the, the trolling motor that was compatible with my fish finder. Oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah. That that old game. That's still super cool that that's out there, though. I'm in the market. So here's a weird little story for you. When I was like 14, 15 years old, I had this little 14-foot aluminum low-line boat um little like 25 merc on there had a you know small little mincota trolling mode selling it when i was like 15 16 i, I want to say i used that money for that for like my first rig anyways cut scene to today um this guy who lives like a block and a half away from me owns that very boat nice and so so i am uh i'm in the process i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm in the process of trying to get that old boat back, restore it, 
and I'm going to start fishing off of my very first boat again. Nice. That would be awesome. I mean, it don't get me wrong. The boat is definitely nothing to uh, write home about. Like I said, it's the little 14 foot aluminum boat. Um, and I'd put it through the ringer and I'm sure whoever's owned that boat after me probably has as well, but I just want to, uh, you know, I'm out back, man. Can you believe that I found it and it lives a block away from me? (laughs) You know, I've caught so much fish just out of my canoe that I, I finally got rid of it after I bought the boat, but it took me a year to finally get rid of the canoe because I caught so many fish out of it. But I'm not a big canoe guy because uh, is it a canoe or ca- kayak that you can like flip up? both of them? You can flip over pretty easily if I remember correctly. Yeah, I had a wide bottom canoe, so I could actually stand up in it if I was by myself, and I would stand up and fish just like I do in my boat. But are you doing some I, mass, are you doing some like Bassmaster Classic type hook sets though? I mean, because uh, <laughs> I've seen some YouTube videos, you know. <laughs> No, I don't try to rip the fish out of the water from 30 feet deep. So, (laughs) you know, I use like a super line. So I use braided line and stuff, but and big heavy hooks, but they're so sharp. It doesn't take a giant hook set to, to get way deep in their mouth. I, I have found that if I really set the hook like that, I usually end up losing fish. Just pulling the whole thing out of their mouth. Yeah, because like especially if you're only hooking them like in the lip instead of the roof of the mouth. When you've got a giant hook and you set the hook like that, all you did was create a big hole in their mouth. And that as soon as you let let tension off of that fish at all, he's gone. Right. That, that barb just pops right out. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, my boat's in 1987, and I, I pretty much rebuilt it from the bow to stern. It just it needed some work, and we found it for a decent price, and it was set up kind of the way we wanted it to get going, and uh, just started replacing stuff, and I built a new deck, and got the motor running right, got all the accessories that any nice boat would have on it. So, man, you can take a 14-foot aluminum boat and make it something special for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure, man. Um, but you got rid of the old kayak, huh? I did. I, you know, it set out here and it set out here. And I don't know. We were supposed to go on vacation in June. And so I sold it to put toward vacation and the yeah, that story, I won't even go down that road, but long story, <laughs> long story short, we lost all of our money out of that deal, so. Dang. Dang. Well, no kayak. <laughs> yeah. Um, no money that I already paid for the vacation with, that, that got robbed from us, so. Yeah, that was kind of a scam deal, I guess. I don't know. For, well, like a vacation deal, like a vacation scam type of situation. Kinda. So we, all right, I guess I'll go into the story. So what had happened <laughs> is I uh, found these, these rooms on the, on the beach in, uh, at Pismo beach, California. 
kind of where I grew up before I moved to Utah. Wife and kids wanted to go there, something terrible. So I found these rooms for a really reasonable price. I bought them three months ago. And like maybe too good of a price? No, um, not really. It was, they were like, it was like 150 bucks a night. Okay, well, that's not, yeah, okay. Which isn't too terrible. I mean, because you get rooms there between 150 to $300 a night. So I thought, okay. That's, that's pretty good. It's not like a balcony or anything like that. It's just a room. Right. So I get an email a couple of weeks ago saying that they went out of business and that they're taking the money and running with it pretty much. <laughs> so I called the hotel and they're like, yeah, we don't have any reservations for you. Your room's not paid for anymore. So. So tough luck, huh? Well, that's, uh, that's crazy, man. That's, uh, it's absolutely crazy. Are we, are we losing connection again here? We may have lost connection. The technical difficulties. How's that? The, oh, there we go. So I, I figured it out. Every time my phone screen goes black, you can't hear me anymore. Uh, you got to keep the uh, screen live. You know, that's yeah. uh, there's a setting on your phone that you could uh, you could do that, or you could just keep. Uh... Well, now we're learning. I mean, hey. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyways, dude, get back to your story. So yeah. I, I no longer have the canoe or the money because I sold the canoe to put toward vacation. They took the money and ran with it and I'm out. Wow. That's a crazy. Uh, so, so you call the, you call the hotel. They don't have your reservation. So it was like a vacation booking place then effectively. Yeah. Yeah. It okay. was. Wow, man. That's crazy. I've always been real uh, wary of places similar to like Travelocity or Expedia or whatever those big name, uh, kayak or whatever those. Did you use kayak to lose your kayak? Because that would be. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I didn't. It was actually like hotels.com or hotels for you or something like that. I booked it. They had good reviews and stuff, but. And then, Honestly, like, it would have been like the best Yelp review I would have ever heard of. Yeah, I, my <laughs> I sold my kayak to book for, on kayak, and I lost my kayak. Yeah, and now it's gone. Yeah, exactly. No, man. When I uh, I, I went down to uh, uh, San Diego one time, and I booked through Travelocity or uh, Expedia, one of those big ones. And the thumbnail of the hotel, because they didn't give me too much information on the hotel, but it was like a, a whole package. Like you bought the flight, you bought the hotel, whatever. It's supposed to be cheaper. And uh, the thumbnail made this thing look like it was right on the beach in the super nice hotel. And I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. Hi. And I, I fly down, uh, I take a Uber to my, my hotel and we keep, getting farther and farther and farther away from the beach. And I'm like, well, what the heck? Like I thought, I thought my hotel was on the beach. 
we get there and it is one of the most like run down places I've ever seen. I'm like, okay, like we'll give it a chance. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's almost like some of those Mexican restaurants where they look rough on the outside, but the food is just amazing. So I'm like, all right, let's go. I get in there. I have to effectively walk around the back through the alleyway to get into, uh, to get into my room. And as I'm walking through the alleyway, there's like, there's drug, like there's drug using the whole works. So, uh, I ended up getting into my hotel room and calling the travel booking agency and just being like, Hey man, I think I need a new hotel. They wouldn't give it to me. So I just paid out a long story short. I ended up just paying out of pocket and getting out of it. Um, like five and a half months later, they reimbursed me that money took forever in a day, you know, but so I've always been real, you know, uh, wary of those, but you have probably worst case scenario of vacation booking. <laughs> yeah. That I, I did not expect that whatsoever. I've booked through uh, Expedia lots and I've had really good luck. And, you know, the other company was only like $20 less for the rooms and Expedia. And I'm like, you know, 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 40 bucks. That's a tank of gas. Right. Well, <laughs> now not it's anymore. gone. <laughs> <laughs> Should have played uh, it safe. <laughs> Right. Where were you guys going to go? Uh, Pismo Beach. Oh, over on, over yeah. on the California coast. Is there good fishing out there? Yeah, dude. Because uh, I grew up like two hours north of there before pick, I moved to Utah. Cherries or something, right? Or picking picking fruit or something, right? You're, or you're a fruit picker or your family? Well, yeah, my family was. Right. I, I tried it. I, I had my stint of fruit picking when I was 13 and you know, it's not for me, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So they, mom and dad finally settled in Porterville, California, which is like two hours North of there, it's 45 minutes North of Bakersfield. And, uh, we used to go down there all the time and we'd, we'd, uh, it's kind of a funny story. We would pick up, uh, beer bottles and cans and stuff like that as a family for like three weeks before we'd go on vacation and go cash them in. Cause California still pays recycling by the pound. <laughs> okay. Pay for our week long vacation. And we would go, uh, not real deep sea fishing, but we would go off the shore fishing, um, get a charter boat and go catch rock bass, lingcod and stuff like that. It was, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it when I was a kid. And uh, my dad took me on a tuna fishing trip one time, and it was like 50 or 50, 60 miles off the coast, something like that. And that was not a good experience for me. Old Jimmy Lowe, he got seasick. And I think I slept, <laughs> I think I slept through the entire 12-hour trip. Did you not take Dramamine? No. Nothing and no sea legs for old J Lo. Not when I was ten. No, I, I I've been out seven. <laughs> well, um, there you are. But yeah, you know I've been out several times since then, and I've been good. 
But when I was 10, no, I had no sea legs or sea stomach, whatever you want to call it. Right. Did your dad catch fish that day though? Oh yeah. And he was, he, he just powered through it. He was puking the whole time he was fishing. (laughs) Puking and reeling, puking and reeling. He's, he's a, one of those type of people. That's awesome, man. That's, uh, that's something that I really don't have too much experience in and is way on high on the bucket list. I want to go off, you know, 50, 60 miles and do some fish and I've never done anything like that before. And it sounds awesome. I would like to, I would like to go down there and try it now that I've been more accustomed to the water. Yeah, sure. Sure. What were you, you said you guys fishing tuna? Yeah, we went, we went out there fishing for tuna. And I think I, I want to say my dad ended up catching like a 70, 80 pound tuna. He caught several smaller ones, 30, 40 pounds, but. Oh, wow. that's amazing. Though. Yeah. I would like to go out and, and catch some of those big blue fins, those giant ones. They're like 800 pounds absolutely you know me and the old lady were looking into going down to mexico and catching gts really not that expensive it's not really i mean the 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 most expensive cost for going down there would be your flight right right but you being you probably fly out of vegas that'd be that'd be probably cheaper no way yeah it it probably wouldn't be too bad to, to fly out of vegas I was actually looking at a, a bass fishing trip for my dad and I to go down to Mexico and do some bass fishing. And it was like 400 bucks a person for three days. And it was like 600 bucks a person for five days. And they pay for everything. All you do is fly down there. You bring your rods if you want. And uh, they pick you up at the airport. They lodge you. They feed you open bar drinks are free all day of course that wouldn't be for me but you they give you your own boat so if you wanted to kind of fly solo while you're down there fishing you can kind of like self-guide yourself i'm like dude wow yeah it was super reasonable that is uh and i've seen a couple youtubers go down to mexico and catch some double digit bass, man. Yeah. So I watch tactical bassing on YouTube all the time. That's where like the majority of my knowledge of bass fishing comes from. And we'll shout out to those guys. Yeah. They, and uh, that's kind of what got me hooked on it because I wanted to go fish with those guys because they actually guide on Clear Lake in California, in Northern California. And their prices, I'm like, holy hell. <laughs> certain times a year because i think their personal best that they had mounted was almost 18 pounds that's a huge large mount yeah it is but uh and it came off of that lake that they guide on anyhow they i watched one of their videos where they went down to mexico and they kind of shouted out to who they were fishing with down there the, the company and so i looked it up i'm like wow that's really reasonable and yeah, they did. They were catching double digit bass down there, and like, yeah, that would be uh, awesome. The, what's your uh, what's your PB, man? What's your personal best? 
I, I really couldn't tell you. I haven't, I never had a scale until this year. I bought a scale finally. What's your, what's your best this year? My best this year is like six, two. That's a pretty big bass, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, in comparison, in comparison to the size of your fist to its mouth, what was it like? That, I that six put my fist in its mouth. Yeah, it's a big bass. Yeah. And I know I've caught bigger fish than that out of the other lake. So you think you're maybe at, you think you've caught a, a double digit? No. Yeah, no, nope. I definitely have. I'm like, dude, mine's like maybe three pounds if I'm lucky. I haven't got any big bass at all. Not, not yet. I, I'm working on it. That, that's my goal. Um, when I hit that double digit mark, then my new goal would be to break that. But oh, of course, are you going to taxidermy? I don't know. I've got, so, I've got so much crap hanging in my house already. <laughs> I don't know if my wife would go for the yeah. double digger. Yeah, I think she would. I mean, you got to. <laughs> yeah, I know. I shot a pheasant when I was still living in Oregon. It had a twenty-one and a half inch tail on it, and yes, I wanted to get that mounted. And that would be awesome. I left it in a friend's freezer and completely forgot about it and then when i moved away it's still in his freezer to this day i'm like oh man <laughs> i wonder if it could be salvaged i i don't know yeah, probably not that'd be interesting man i'm still you know i'm I, I don't have too much stuff hung up on the walls i've done kind of a bad job of i've done kind of a bad job of uh memorabilia throughout the years so my new goal some of my goals are to start euro mountain some of my stuff and getting some taxidermy pieces yeah i've got pictures of them all but i just i don't have anything on the walls to to uh talk about a bunch of shed antlers hanging around you know but i haven't really paid for the taxidermy it's always been such a cringe of getting it done you know yeah yeah i do know what you mean I, I've always done my own. I, I've had one skull cleaned, and I they cleaned it with beetles, and it yeah. turned out awesome. But, but pretty expensive though, right? No, the guy charged me fifty bucks because all he does is put it in a bucket with all these beetles, and they eat it for a week, and then, like, then he degreases it. And then he bleaches it and gives it back. It was it was super reasonable. Well, that was here though too. That was that is a good price, man. Yeah, my uh, uh, my boss at Hyder Dip Scott shot a pretty nice bull this year, uh, six pointer, like three thirty maybe. I don't know. I'm just guessing maybe three twenty bull, and uh, he uh, he got it euro mounted and. It's like three fifty. Wow! And I spit, I spit my coffee up when he told me that. Because that's, wow. I told him I would have done it for free. But hey, 
Shout out to all the tax service. I ain't trying to steal. I ain't trying to steal anybody's business. But holy cow, man! No, I'm talking about shoulder mounts. Um, you know, like actual, you know, like full full work done. That stuff can cost you quite a bit of coin, man. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty fortunate here that a lot of the kids, a lot of the guys I grew up with, uh, they they're very avid hunters and fishermen, and some of them followed that passion through like to their careers. So I've got a, a good friend of mine. He's a taxidermist. I actually have two of them that do taxidermy and then three of them do professional guide service. So I, I've kind of been spoiled and kind of hooked up here. I, I actually, I talked to that one of, one of my friends that does taxidermy. I have that, uh, that old shoulder mounted, antelope that my father-in-law shot back in 1967 it's starting to get a little uh i don't know old i guess yeah and uh one of the the horns the the it broke like the top half just broke off when i was moving so i asked him like well can you fix this he goes oh yeah just bring it over and i'll fix it for you like, what do you want for it? And he's like, just just bring it over. I'm like, what? So I have yet to bring it over, but he's been kind of busy um, doing sure. full mouth and stuff. But, yeah, he's willing to do it pro bono, so that would be awesome. That's the ins to have, sir. Those, you know, friends, friends that are taxidermists is a great <laughs> friend to a hunter. Yes. It's like, it's like a butcher friend. Absolutely. <laughs> Gotta have them. Gotta have them. I was fortunate enough. The the guys I was hunting with last year um have a pretty sweet meat hanging setup. So they had their own coolers and and effectively their own meat cutting room. So that was pretty awesome to be able to utilize that stuff. Pretty motivating to want to get my own kind of meat processing room set up uh here as soon as we get our house purchased and paid for yeah but, uh, it, it, that's, it gotta be, <laughs> that's gotta be quite a challenge though for you guys um meat care down there when it's that hot huh yeah you- so the the butchers around here they they have a 24 hour call service, um, during the hunting season. So I, I usually just, when I shoot a buck, the first thing I do is I, I call who I'm taking it to and say, Hey, I shot a deer or an elk or whatever the case may be. I'll be there in like two hours. They're like, okay, we'll be here. And then I just, I don't even, I, I dress it out and that's as far as I get. I load it up in the truck take it straight to the butcher because yeah right season it's still 105 wow there's there's no keeping your call sure now that's that's rough man we were we were uh bear hunting the hell's canyon last weekend and uh boy howdy it got pretty warm up there and i 
and I was thinking about hunting Southern Utah like you were or you do. Uh, and I just can't imagine it, man. Golly, that stuff is just that, – that hot stuff's not meant for a ginger. No, but you would love it. <laughs> I don't know if you would love it or not, but the scenery is, is to die for, man. It's it, We really do have some beautiful views around here. The hunting is excellent in, in certain parts of the state. And, you know, there's ways around the heat for sure. Like, Oh, yeah. No, that's not going to stop me, man. I'd, I'd love to uh, get down there and get some of those crazy-looking mule deer. Yeah, and in certain areas too, man, like that where I shot my deer a couple years ago, the last deer I shot out of that area – was a 26 inch two by four. It was just crazy looking. Yeah, just a very non typical. Seems like all the pictures and stuff that you guys have showed me of those, the genetics down there is it's just so like weird. You know, you got a lot of weird genetics going on there. And I love, I love those non typical style bucks. Yeah, because I, I want to say a lot of those come off of like the Pontagon area and they just kind of migrate throughout this Southern part of the state. The Pontagon, they have, I mean, that's where like the first cactus buck I ever saw came from. And it was just gnarly, like there's points everywhere. And, you know, you're starting to see that more and more in other areas too. There's, it's kind of become the norm almost. And like, if you want to deer with eye guards, you go to this unit. If you don't care about eye guards and just want a big buck, you go to this unit. And if you want just gnarly, you go over here. It's like, you can kind of, kind of pick and choose what kind of buck you want by the area you hunt. Sure. Are they still hunting or are they still in velvet when you're hunting them in August? Yes. Are they having a shed? Oh, nice. Nice. Yep. Uh, I got a buck that I got this, not this, I guess it would be last year now, but, um, was still in full velvet. That's my, my first like full velvet archery buck. So I was pretty jacked about that. Yeah. That's awesome. Full velvet. I love them in velvet, man. Something about it. I don't know why, but I love them in velvet. Yeah. yeah. But when you hunt them with the, for the, for the mule deer or not for the, uh, for the muzzleloader season, I mean, um, you said that's going to be like October or whatever. So they'll be, they'll be hard horned by then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, the one I shot two years ago still had some remnants on, on his horns, but I think so. that's just because he was kind of jacked up. His antlers were, so he couldn't rub it all the way off. It just had like this big, long dangly, piece of velvet sure no that makes sense yeah those are cool though man some of those some of those can that little bit of trash hanging off is kind of cool looking to me yeah you know that was the only reason i actually decided to take that deer because i was i was holding out for a big one because the like i said the day before opener we uh we saw some 30 inch bucks and that's what I was holding out for. I hunted my butt off and I put a lot of miles on my boots and just didn't, just didn't make it happen and couldn't find them. Um, saw very few bucks actually. 
so the last day of the hunt, um, I got my sister on this little tiny three point that she ended up shooting beautiful little buck. If he had been, I don't know, three years older, it probably would have been a giant, but, and then, uh, I went out that evening and kind of hunted the same area and ended up jumping this goofy looking deer and i just saw the character that he had so i ended up taking him but it 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 can be a struggle here it's not it's just different than oregon oregon was tough just because of the thick timber and the sheer slopes i'm back i'm sorry about no worries (laughs) <laughs> I'm here just rambling to myself. Um, no, I heard everything. All right. But, yeah. Um, Oregon. No, I agree with you. I mean, for, I, didn't, I never hunted that Utah area, um, but it seemed it seemed a little bit more open environment, you know. Um, I love this deep and deep of Oregon, though, you know. Yeah, it, it's – you get some of those areas here. Um the cool part about our steep and deep areas here is they're pretty narrow so that, I mean, you might only be like three or 400 yards across the Canyon. So, but it's going to take you like two hours to walk there. So you could glass a ton here, but it's gotten so thick in the last few years that it's hard to even see a deer. And that's the struggle we find here is we have that scrub oak and it just grows like crazy. And so you're just, it's just hard spotting them in that thick, thick brush stuff. Yeah, it is. And then like that unit that I drew a tag for this year has sagebrush that's like freaking eight feet tall. It's ungodly. So you're just basically looking for tips of antlers then? Just get on a high point? Asking for antlers. Pretty much, yeah. Um, hoping to find them moving at all. That just sit and watch for movement <laughs> for most of the day, and then kind of keep an eye on where they go. Sure, man. That's uh, that's. I'm interested in looking at some of that train, man. Um, you know, I, I before I forget me and uh, the last podcast that I was doing, we were talking a lot about shed hunting and uh, we brought Utah up because it was one of the few States that I could think of that has a um, shed hunting restriction. And uh, what I want to get your thoughts on a shed hunting restriction. Um. It, it's kind of a good thing uh, in certain areas. So our, like we have a season, so you can't hunt sheds before like April 15th. And the reason for that is so that you don't get people chasing these deer around trying to make them drop antlers. That That's the sole reason for it is to, to cut down on some of the stress on the animals during that time. And then after that, it's kind of just open season, but you have to have, so like there's like two months in there that you have to have a permit to actually pick up sheds. 
and after Is that, that yeah okay. so and after that it's just open like you don't have to have the permit you don't have to have any of that stuff so that's why it you know it kind of sucks because if you're just out hiking or scouting or whatever and you find a shed antler during that time of year when you're supposed to have a permit and you don't have a permit you can get ticketed for it which i think is kind of crap um i see why they do it just so we're not putting that extra stress on the animals trying to make them drop antlers chasing them around or whatever the case may be but yeah no i mean um i think one of the points that we were kind of talking about the one of the debatable points is if you have that season, let's say it's from um, April 15th to December 31st or whatever the season is, that's going to bring more people into the woods at that specific time. I understand the summertime uh, is the, if there is such a thing as the best time to cause stress because they're in a, a summer pattern, but uh, I think the, the, the arguing point is that there's more density throughout those few months of people who are going to be there. You know, if you, uh, if you look at like what Montana, some of the Montana seasons, April 15th, you got guys out, you got 200 dudes out there. It looks like rifle season, you yeah. know? So is, is that better, that amount of stress through those few months better than, um, what potentially could be a lower amount of stress throughout the entire year? I mean, I don't know, something I can't answer. I'm not a biologist, so I can't answer for you. But, you know, I think that's one of the um, one of the one of the debatable points of this whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I completely agree Uh, because they they didn't used to have any sort of regulations on that. It was the only regulation they had is you couldn't pick up antlers that were attached to a skull. And that's still the law. Um, they have to actually be shed from the deer naturally. You can't, like, if you find an old kill, whether that be an old hunt kill or a cougar kill or whatever the case may be, you're still not supposed to pick them up. And if you do, you're supposed to report it to DWR and they take it from you. Um, but yeah, and, and I know that's similar to, that's similar to Oregon. You can, you're not legally supposed to pick up deadheads either. Yeah, and I think that's pretty common across the U.S. Honestly, I think so too. And I, like I know their permits for shed antler hunting, it's free. You take this little online course. It's just like an ethics course, is pretty much what it is. And you're supposed to do it for archery also. And it's like a five or ten minute little online course just to say that you're ethical. But yeah, I, I usually, I usually I mean, go shed hunting in February just because, I don't know, it's cold and it's snowy. <laughs> sure. But no, I mean, I'm, I mean, you know, to repeat what I said on the last one, I'm generally against, uh, uh, a, a very broad brush of regulation like this. Uh, 
I think it's been an unfortunate circumstance that shed hunters and outdoor recreators have put themselves in that we now have to have some sort of regulatory body tell us what we can and cannot do out in the woods when it comes to something as simple as a shed antler. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm generally against it. Uh, and I hope that with these types of conversations and, and just m- better content out there, uh, hopefully we can get more people to just act responsibly instead of, um, putting pressure on animals. That ain't <laughs> exactly what it boils down to is, is the, the many are punished because of the few that do stupid things. I don't necessarily think it's a punishment, but like you said, it's now come to a point in time where people have screwed up enough that the government had to step in and make a regulation on it on something that used to just be, you know, a common activity with, friends and family you go out look for shed antlers and now you have to have a permit to do it absolutely absolutely you know just generally generally against that those type of activities when it comes to you know i'm not into getting permits and stuff the and uh hunting license uh makes a lot of sense to me because of the the entire how the whole system works that we can pay for the biologist that will tell us where to hunt that's a beautiful system in my mind um but you know and 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 maybe this money's going into it i you know i don't know anything about uh the the utah dwr or whatever it is um so maybe that same money maybe those uh but it's free right that you said that those and so it's pretty much just an online online ethics course um that you take and explains to you that you know, you're not supposed to jump a, a boundary fence that's posted to go pick up a shed antler. And to if you pack it in, pack it out. You know, just don't throw crap around. Don't go off-roading where there's no road and it's muddy or sandy. And it, it kind of lays out just, you know, common sense stuff that the majority of people understand and abide those rules already anyways. But you do have the few that, I don't know, for some reason, refuse to follow those common sense rules. And now we have regulations around those people. You know, they're going to take the test and they're still going to do all of those things that they said they weren't, you know, they're just, absolutely. yeah. Now it's a bummer, man. I just wanted to get your opinion on, you know, a Utah dude's opinion on some of those regulations. It's a, it's an interesting topic. You know, we're, like I said, generally against those type of things, we're of course uh, in a in an interesting situation with Oregon, and uh, you know there's a lot of talk of people who are trying to take away um, coyote tournaments or predator hunting tournaments. Um, so, and and you know, regardless of what the uh, your opinion is about it, I'm just generally against over a, a very broad brush of regulatory systems like this. So, you know, um, I think something that we got to talk about, it's interesting. Uh, if you think I've talked to a lot of older guys who said, man, when I was your age, I just wasn't thinking about this type of stuff. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) 
exact that's exactly what I was going to say. They didn't have to, and we now, um, as the outdoor recreation uh, the populace or whatever, we we have to we have to now pay attention to all the nitty gritty details, and what happens in Utah matters to people um, in Oregon. And the things that happen in Oregon matter to people that live in Washington. We're all now it's all combined. I mean, it always has been, but I think luckily we have more information out now that can make it a little bit more transparent of how united um, we must be. Because unfortunately we're in a very sketchy time, if you will, for the things that for the past hour we've been talking about, which is very, um, it should be, kind of a born right in America. And a lot of people think it is, and I kind of fall into that category, but there's a lot of people that don't like what we do or want to make money versus allowing those, um, born rights to happen. So we have to talk about it. We got to band together. Um, that's why I wanted to get you involved with the whole Van Patten, um, deal. Um, because one of the big missions that we have of Van Patten is just trying to get people, who do this stuff. And by this stuff, I mean, go outside and have fun, um, to get together and band together. Um, of course we're never going to see eye to eye on every single issue, but I think everybody can join together and say that the mountains are awesome. And I don't care what mountains we're talking about, but they're all pretty sweet. And, uh, hopefully eventually we will be able to unite and have some sort of, uh, skin in the game or some ground to stand on to some of the people who don't see this, uh, the beauty of the natural world. We're not alone here. I mean, there's been guys since the 1900s, you know, if you think of Aldo Leopold, uh, his sand County almanac and what he was talking about of the natural world way back then. Um, we're definitely not alone in this thing. We just got to, uh, we just got to remind some of the people in 2019 uh, what has happened, you know? Absolutely. And I, I don't want to say anything uh, too harsh, but you know, there's like, I, I'll admit I'm a bed fisherman when it comes time to springtime spawn for the bass. That's like one of the best times to get out there and catch your new PB a lot of people are super against it, but studies have shown like scientific studies from biologists and people that are into fisheries. If you immediately release that fish back into the water, don't take it back to the boat ramp and take a picture with it. Take your pictures on the boat, release it within the next couple of seconds. It'll go right back to his bed and continue doing what it was doing. Um, Absolutely. There's so many people against it, and I, I'm waiting for that regulation to fall. Like, well, you know, what's real interesting to me is we, you know, I was just mentioning that predator tournament issue in Oregon. I've never heard of a bass tournament issue in Oregon. If you think about it, that's going to do more harm to a fishery than, uh, than anything else because most of the time in those bass tournaments they're going to collect all of the fish and bring them to a centralized location right pulling the beds off of the fish so So, or the fish off the beds i should say that's where i support the fl no it's uh, major league fishing 
they they weigh your fish as you catch them. You release them back into the water right there. Now you get the FLW and Bassmaster Elite Series and stuff like that. Those fish are all stuck in a live well. They're there all day long. If you end up culling a fish, so you catch a bigger fish, you let one go, you don't know where you are on the lake. That fish might be miles from its bed. Um, those springtime tournaments, I think, are detrimental to – Well, not to mention – oh, dude, yeah, not to cut you off, but not to mention you've just held that fish in a freaking live well for like two and a half hours, then you drop it back miles away from its bed. Think of the stress on the fish. Yeah. So for me, it's live wells at all, but I'm just saying, how are we having this conversation about predator tournaments? And yeah. And we're not having this conversation because fish have no souls. Is that the, you know, the dichotomy or the, the, you know, the, 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 the list of, of who has souls, I guess the fish is at the very bottom, you know? Yeah. yeah, It's unfortunate because we do, we have a lot of, we have our springtime tournaments here. And you go out to the lake during like an April tournament or even a May tournament. And the entire bank is lined with boats doing the exact same thing. They're, they're catching those bed fish and they're throwing them in a live well and they're bringing them back and then they release them at the boat ramp. And that's why I love the major league fishing, um, that circuit as far as professional bass fishing goes, because you catch a fish you have a guy in the boat, weigh it. He inputs it into the computer right there on the boat. You release the fish. It's out of the water for 15, 20 seconds tops. And see, I, I think that's awesome. Why are we not doing that in all tournaments? Well, not only that, but it's better for the anglers anyways, because uh, that's the true way to the fish. Absolutely. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're not filling with air while they're in the live well or or whatever the case may be. You're not you're not killing fish by keeping them in the live well for four hours before weigh in. Right. Well, I'm you know what I yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're gonna lose a little bit of water weight leaving them in the wa- live well, so you're gonna get its natural weight. It's better for the fish. I w- I'm with you, man. I, I agree. I think they should go. And maybe logistically, it's a little bit more expensive to have an official score or official wear on every single boat. But uh, I don't know. Some of those earnings of uh, the bass tournaments, I feel like you could cut a couple more official wares into that. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, your top prize is a hundred grand on some of those tournaments. Some is more. And what do you think they're paying the weighers? I mean, give them a tenth of that, and I think they'll be, you know, absolutely, man. I, you know, I would volunteer to be a referee in those. I mean, and it's kind of cool because they keep a running total of the fish you catch all day. So you might end up with a 30 pound bag at the end of the day. Absolutely, man. No, it that totally, I totally agree with you there. Um, one of the weird, one of the weird things that you know, uh, the bass tournaments are still, still doing. I think though, if you look at it, maybe it's just me because I'm giant into the YouTube scene. I think that some of those, some of those tours have kind of lost their, um, what they used to be. I don't know, I their place a little bit, but uh. 
did we lose old Jimmy Lowe? No, I'm yeah. here. Oh, there he is. Okay. Um, so one of my favorite fishermen, he fishes the FLW tour, Scott Martin. I watched, I grew up watching his dad, Roland Martin, as a pro. So oh, generally, yeah. like, naturally, I follow Scott Martin. But yeah. um, he he had the offer to go to Major League Fishing which goes under that same scoring that I was talking about where they weigh the fish, they release the fish right there on the boat. And uh, he stayed with FLW just because he's there forever. So I started following some other guys in the major league fishing tournament. Um, and I, you know, that those types of tournaments, they don't have the bigger names like they do in the Bassmaster elite series and stuff like, kvd obviously he's huge probably but, the biggest name in fishing right now you know he's at yeah. walmart let's be honest <laughs> yeah i mean for real but you get some of these other guys like uh uh I, jacob wheeler for one I, I i love watching him he's new to the the professional bass fishing scene and i've started following that that major league bass fishing instead because, yeah, they can go out and fish a spring tournament and bed fish, weigh that eight or nine pound female, put her right back on her nest. And you're starting to see more and more of those views in that type of fishing. It's been my no, experience anyway. No, I, I agree with you, man. Um, I totally agree with that system. That seems so much better. So much better. I just I never understood the whole idea of throwing a fish in a box, packing it around for several hours, just to hope it lives. You know, I fished that I fished a tournament last year with my dad out here, and it was that way where we had to throw them in the live well and stuff. There's so many fish, big fish, even the little fish, that just sank at the bottom of release at the boat ramp. Yeah, do you guys at the very end? I've never fished a tournament a bass tournament like that at the very end of the weighing thing do y'all just go to the end of the the shoreline and just have a huge fish release uh it's so halfway through the tournament you bring in so our our tournament's a little different um we get to keep four fish and you fish for four hours you bring in your best two fish weigh those they release them at the boat ramp um and then you go back out you fish another four hours at the official end of the weigh-in they do the same thing so you get 30 boats out there releasing fish at the boat ramp and i would say i don't know it's probably five percent of those just sink to the bottom wow five percent mortality rate yeah at each lake so we of course around here we fish a different lake every tournament and uh but my the main lake i fish on my free time um i think there's two or three tournaments held at that lake each year so you add that up if you have a five percent mortality rate in three tournaments I mean, there's 15% right there. That's just, you're killing. 
based on that waste. Right. I mean, if you have a hundred dudes in the tournament, each guy has four fish. I mean, yeah, we're talking some numbers here. Yeah, it's and, and you know, it's the one thing they've got going for them is so you have to have two anglers on a boat, but you're only allowed two fish per team per weigh-in. So four fish total. So okay. it's a combined effort, which that helps keep the mortality rate lower. Sure. But still, it's yeah. you're killing fish for no reason. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting topic though, right? I mean, you just, uh, there's so much, uh, talk about the, uh, how bad predator hunting is. And I think what a lot of people don't understand about specifically, uh, coyote hunting in something that I didn't realize until, um, we got our, our wildlife control operators permit and started doing this stuff for a living is that you can kill 75% of a, of the coyote population. And in one pup crop, they can replenish, you know? So what, what we're trying to do, um, when we're actually trying to control and protect, uh, livestock and do those types of things. I mean, we're trying to breach that 75%. Uh, because we're we're just we're actually trying to get them out of that property um we've learned that you know you've got to put a sizable dent in them and 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 of course fish uh versus coyotes are you know definitely apples and oranges uh but there's a there there's a large amount of 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 dogs or coyotes that you can take so and in most coyote tournaments um i don't think that the mortality rate which obviously is 100% because you're killing coyotes that's the point but i don't think that now there is a national tour that guys uh go on where you may get 4 5 6 dogs a day maybe 10 dogs a day i think is a is just a crazy amount a crazy day and they go through a tour that may hurt the population but if you look at it for a mule deer um protection system or a, anything along those lines i don't think it's going to hurt too bad uh we're definitely not in a place where the coyote is ever going to get on the endangered species act. I mean, they're in every single state besides Alaska and Hawaii in America, if I do believe, um, just because I don't, I don't think they can swim. So, uh, so as far as the, I don't know what you would call it, the hubbub, the, the people getting Twitter pated about uh, the coyote tournaments. I'm really flabbergasted about it, man. I really don't understand. Like, um, to my knowledge, I haven't seen too many um, like cougar tournaments or uh, bobcat tournaments or anything along those lines because those animals, to get one is amazing. And to go, don't get me wrong, there's some houndsmen that, you know, do that stuff way better, but you don't really see those tournaments, you know? So they, so, and with coyotes, there's, there's an abundant amount in so many places. I really am confused about the hubbub, you know? For sure. 
you know, Utah is still one of the states that pays for them. Like, you take an ear and a lower jaw, and you take it in, and they, they pay you for it. What's the bounty on them down there? I want to say it's 75 bucks Per dog? Yeah, it's between 50 and $75 a dog. How much is that? the, uh, you know, how much is the non, or the, yeah, the non-resident hunting license? You have to have one of those in Utah to hunt uh, coyotes, correct? No. Uh, coyote, coyote is not protected in Utah. So you same, don't with, need- same with jackrabbits. You can hunt them year-round without a hunting license. Do you have to have a hunting license to get the bounty? Uh, I don't think so. Hmm. Don't well, quote may... me on that, but I'm pretty sure that you don't. You may be seeing me here soon there, J-Lo. That sounds like a uh, uh, a job enterprise to me. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, the majority of the people that shoot dogs don't even turn them in for a bounty because they're mostly ranchers and stuff that are shooting them off their property and stuff like that. Um, yeah, there's really no... There's no control unit here like you have in Oregon where you guys have there's the certain companies around there that do it for a living. They, to my knowledge, we don't have those around here. Um, like I said, it's mostly it, it's uh, mostly people driving down the highway on the way to the deer camp and go, oh hell, there's a coyote, shoot it, and that's about as far as it goes. Or the ranchers taking care of their own. Sure. So, well, there's a couple. There's a couple hardcore dudes down there. I can think of uh, a, a couple guys that do it pretty, pretty hardcore down there. But I get yeah, what you're saying. Generally, I mean, in in Eastern Oregon, generally is pretty pretty close to that. I mean, we've got some guys that are doing it pretty hardcore as well. But um, yeah, generally it's the it's the rancher type out there just protecting their own stuff, you know. Yeah, and and you know, like on the. I guess not really the eastern part of the state, but like around Escalante and uh, Bryce Canyon area and Centerville, Loa, some of those little hick towns. I think there's probably a few guys that do it full time. Um, I know there was a kid I went to school with, moved up to Salina. Um, it's kind of in that Richfield area. It's more northern Utah. He was doing it for a while. But as far as down here in the southern part of the state, I I don't see too many people. Like, I I remember seeing the advertisements and stuff in LeGrand, and you just don't see that here. That's interesting. I mean, is there a lot of – I guess there's there's not a lot of livestock down there, eh? Uh, Not not as much as there used to be. I think the majority of the livestock still running around is kind of around that Cedar city area and, uh, out toward enterprise, like toward the, the Nevada border. And we're, I mean, we're right on the Arizona border. So we have, uh, the Arizona strip is just down not too far from the house. And, and you, you get some cows running out there and stuff, but yeah, for the most part, um, it's not like Legrand or Baker for sure. 
Right. Right. No, that makes sense, man. The cool thing about being so close to that Arizona strip thing is you get some of those bucks drifting over your way that we were talking about earlier. Some of those yeah. bucks. Can be from there. <laughs> if they can make it across the freeway. So they have this thing called the summit rock here. Um, it's one of our local gyms. They put on this little rock hunt every year to get people out and try to find this rock. And it's worth $10,000 if you find it. Um, so last year, of course, I'm out beating a brush looking for this rock to give you clues as to like riddles of to where it is in town or, and stuff like that. And, uh, I was down walking along the river and saw some of the biggest mule deer tracks I'd ever seen down there on that river. It's right there in town. And I'm like, holy crap. So I'm assuming some of those bucks, yeah, they probably came up uh, along, like, from Arizona, and they're breeding in there or something. Like, I I don't know why these deer would be in this area. Sure. Did you, so, ever find, you, you didn't find the rock, though, eh? No, I mean, like, you know, he's about getting 10 grand. No. No, I wish I did. Um, D- does somebody find it every year? Oh, yeah. Yep. They get 10 uh, grand away a year? Oh, well, yeah. Last year they did 30 grand. They did three rocks. Is this just like a golden rock that they just hide somewhere in the. Yeah. It, it, it's actually just a piece of native rock that they took in and had their logo um, etched in the rock. And they give you clues as to where to find it. And the whole goal is to get families active and outside and experience the outdoors and, and to experience like different areas of town that most people don't really care to go to. Like, like people in hurricane generally don't go clear the hell out in Ivan's or Santa Clara area. Cause you know, nobody wants to go to St. George. <laughs> so sure. it, it gets, thousands of people out and about with their kids they spend time with their families looking for this rock and i mean it's like a needle in a haystack all the rocks out there look the same you just happen to find the right shape of the rock and and put all the puzzle pieces together to find it that's a pretty awesome uh program man It, it really is because there's so many people like the one time of year these heavy set people get out and just beat the brush and like people so you have to buy a t-shirt from the gym so it's 10 bucks and if you have that t-shirt on the rock is worth 10 grand if you don't have the t-shirt on it's worth 5 grand so a 10 dollar investment to double your money is pretty inexpensive and that gives you a month free of unlimited access to the gym. So that's, that's, that's awesome. And, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's great marketing for them. And they're actually, they're trying to do a good thing by getting people out and be active. It, it, it kind of sucks that it takes a $10,000 rock to get people up and moving. But sure. Good point. It does. It does. 
at least it works and they're still they're getting people out there man i mean i'm thumb i'm I'm two thumbs way up on that i think it's awesome yeah it's a great gig and it's it's you know it brings in a lot of people and and a lot of money and they get all these sponsors and stuff they put on the t-shirt and so people start looking into those sponsors it's a great program all the way around but yeah no that sounds amazing man that sounds uh I wish a gym around here would do that. That's probably not going to happen. No, that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's a lot of coin. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man. Well, I uh, have some Memorial day stuff to uh, rock and roll on the old website, but uh, so I appreciate you having, or having, having you on man. Um, Spending some time with me, this fine, day what is it today friday friday finally friday. i appreciate you spending your friday with me a little bit um where can people check out some of your stuff uh my instagram page uh sober dude fishing um that's sober underscore dude underscore fishing um oh, ig but that that's really the only place I am right now. I mean, I have, I share a Facebook page with my wife. Sometimes I post some stuff on there. Um, but yeah, or I, you know, I use the fish brain app too and I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm on there as well. So fish brain, Instagram. Yeah. So fishing. Yep. Well, we reshare or repost a bunch of your picks. So we'll repost another one um, with the link to this podcast so people can kind of check out some of your story. Of course, I'm going to convince you to do some some work with Van Patten. So people will be on the lookout for some collaborations with that stuff. But like I said, man, I appreciate your time. We'll have you on here again. But uh, I hope you have a, uh, a good day and catch some more fish for me, man. Right on, brother. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. Later. Bye.